This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I have Jane Janie Ulmer with me. She's the new principal at Hamilton Southeastern High School. So, Janie uh, Ulmer, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to talk to me today. Well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I want to start off with, with this question because you've been in education for a while. Imagine for uh, just for a moment that someone years ago told you you would have the opportunity to be the principal of a large, high-performing suburban high school, but you'd start the school with a pandemic and virtual classes. <laughs> what would you, how would you have reacted if you'd heard that? I would have said, I'm sorry, I think you had the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, that's what you face today. It is. Um, you know, I, I'm always a teacher. I, I I have been a teacher since I was a little girl, helping the students in my class, helping my brother. Um, I, I have always wanted to uh, to help others grow and reach their potential. I loved being in the classroom and doing that, and then having the opportunity to work with students that struggle in alternative education um, was an incredible experience. But now, it's it's a completely different world. And, and now I'm not just helping students, but students, teachers, families, community members, I feel like we're all learning and growing together. And, and this is just a completely different role than, than I had thought it would be. Um, it's been wonderful uh, watching our teachers just think outside the box and think about how to teach students differently and think about how to help families work through this pandemic. It's just, it's been a really incredible experience. You know, you reminded me of something. I'm the oldest of six, so I did a lot of teaching. (laughs) My mother (laughs) and father were too busy to to do that, going through lessons and so forth. So it brought back some memories for me. Uh, Just talk about what it's like. I mean, HSC, anytime I've ever been there and visited that building when their class is going on, it's a vibrant place. There are people all over. When classes are changing, uh, it's it's a busy hallway. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's it like for you to walk around your building and only find basically maybe a few staff people, but mostly teachers teaching in their classrooms virtually? What's 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 funny is I I walk down the hallways and I see a a teacher in their room and I think, Oh, I'll pop in and say hello. So I open the door and I say hello, but I'm actually interrupting a class and it feels so strange. And I can hear the conversations then. And I, I experience a little bit of, um, of the conversations that are happening and the creative lessons so even though they're not physically there, the teaching is going on and, and the students are engaging in the conversation. So it feels a little odd. Like I said, I, I'm walking down the halls and I, I feel like I can pop into classes, but I, there's actual classes going on. Yeah, and, and I want to emphasize something you just talked about uh... Matt Kegley is Central Office Administrator for Secondary Education, former HSC principal himself. And we are recording this on August 27th. There was a school board meeting the night before. And Mr. Kegley, actually Dr. Kegley, now I should give him credit. It is. Um, it is. And congratulations to him on, on, a, on achieving that. But he talked about what's happening in the entire district, at least within his domain. 
and the amazing things that teachers are doing under some of the toughest circumstances they had probably ever seen in their career. Talk a, a little bit about that. So from what I have been hearing, I, I've been hearing about really creative things teachers are doing to connect with their students. Teachers are sending notes home, so they get some mail, just some feedback that way. I've heard of teachers who are doing virtual walks with their students. I've heard of teachers um, being able to learn from their students. Their students, in many ways, uh, might be more tech savvy than their teachers. So the students get to take the lead and become the teacher and teach the teacher how to use different um, platforms, things like Flipgrid and Loom and Zoom, items that I had never heard of six weeks ago. So there's a lot of that creativity going on. I think teachers and students are connecting in different ways. When you talk to someone on Zoom, you actually feel like you're looking face-to-face with that person, even though there might be 30 people in the Zoom. So in some ways, I think many students are feeling a connection with their teacher that they did not experience before. So that's been, been interesting. I also noticed that students are taking advantage of the office hour situation we have. Um, office hours happen in the afternoons where students can uh, Zoom with their teacher for a second time, separate from the lesson. And that's really cool because sometimes students don't feel comfortable to ask questions in front of their peers, but they know that there is a time slot available to them that they can Zoom in with their teacher and have some individual time. And that's, that's been really successful. Okay, you're going to have to help me here. What is a virtual walk? What is a virtual walk? Um, (laughs) It is when we take our device and we go outside and we walk and the student walks at the same time. So you're kind of like FaceTiming and both getting outside to get some fresh air. Oh, okay. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, No, I have to tell you, my my, uh, twin daughters are 26 and they're adults and married, but uh, I still get technical tips from them on, on technology for sure. Uh, I, I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, the goal uh, of the school corporation and you as a principal is to get students and teachers back in the classrooms 100% of the time. But, you know, that we do have to deal with the t- pandemic and the medical impl- impact of that. And, and the current plans are to have roughly half the students in the building at one time over the next phase when it comes to secondary education. Elementary is coming soon, then the expectation is that uh, depending on what's happening in the community overall and other factors, that uh, this has been explained in the board meeting so far, that only half the students would be in the building at one time because in a pandemic, there's just not enough room for people to spread out if they all come at one time. Uh, I looked at this elementary plan that the school board uh, heard uh, last night about the post-Labor Day elementary plan. Um, it's complex. <laughs> There's no easy way to do this based on what I'm seeing. And I'm guessing that once the high school plan, and they, there was some uh, discussion of that, but when that does actually come to pass, I'm guessing it'll be even at least that complicated, maybe more. So, what I want you to do for me now is talk about the planning already going on as to what's going to happen once students start coming back into the building at HSE High School. So our first goal is always to keep students safe and keep our staff and our teachers safe. 
So the planning that we're doing right now is basically logistics. Let's set up our classroom so that we can keep students socially distant. Let's try to have our desks facing the same direction. Let's make sure that we have seating charts in place so that if we do have someone with symptoms that we can do some contact tracing and making sure that everyone is notified. Um, we've looked at our lunch areas and what additional spaces we can use at lunch so we can really spread kids out at lunch. We will have QR codes on our lunch tables so that we can figure out what students sat at which table. Um, again, trying to make sure that if, if symptoms were to occur, occur can we identify um, the other students that might be close contacts? We have cleaning supplies available so that you know surfaces will be cleaned. We've added some additional custodial staff um, that are, are specifically here to disinfect and, and keep our, our building clean. And you know, most importantly too, is just making sure that we are aware of, um, of the social distancing, wearing our mask, making sure we're following those protocols. Our, our administrative staff, we literally meet every morning in almost like a, a hunker down situation to review, to make sure we're thinking of everything. And then we share what we can with our department chairs and our teachers, trying to get as much feedback as possible. What are we, what are we missing? So that our plan is, is continually reviewed. That, that's the logistical part. But then we also need to remember that we need to prepare for instruction. This is a place where we, we want to make sure that we're delivering quality instruction to our students. So we're looking at different ways of assessment. How are we receiving feedback? What does it look like with our students that are 100% virtual at home? Because we want to make sure that they're getting the same quality lessons that our students that will be back here will be receiving. So again, we're, we're meeting in groups. We're trying to analyze all the different angles and we make a plan, revise, revise, revise. <laughs> well, I, can even, I can't even imagine that. I think when uh, the football practice began and, and it was uh, publicly disclosed that a Fisher's High School football player had tested positive, when I dug into that and talked to people, uh, the IHSAA uh, guidelines were followed and they were able, they being the, the, the coaches and the athletic staff at Fisher's, they were able to isolate a group of because they'd put them into groups and only have to quarantine so many and then go from there uh, and do that uh, in a way uh, that that was not going to shut all the practice down. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Dr. Borth said at a previous school board meeting that there have been many sports teams that have gone under quarantine. He wasn't specific. So I'm guessing this is that was not the only a situation where there was at least a suspected positive case. But that brings me to the complications of not, you know, when you think of extracurricular activities, a lot of people think of varsity football and basketball, but extracurriculars, a lot of other sports, as well as a lot of academic activities. So talk about how the pandemic has impacted the, the large uh, list of extracurricular activities you have at your high school. Wow, <laughs> that's a great question. So uh, our athletic directors are almost COVID specialists at this point. Um, they work really closely with our central office to make sure that we have up-to-date information as far as what's a close contact, what are the symptoms, what needs to happen if we hear of someone who has been exposed, are they, are, have they tested positive, have they tested negative? There's quite an elaborate flowchart on what needs to happen. And so 
our athletic directors are, are in constant contact with our coaches. Coaches are in constant contact with their players and with their families because communication seems to be the biggest factor as we try to keep kids safe. So we, you know, our parents are doing the right thing with our student athletes as well. You know, they're communicating with coaches saying, you know, I think I'm going to keep my player home today. Just want to make sure. And that that's been really helpful. Um, you know, we have, you know, band has been meeting and they've done a great job of keeping students socially distant. But again, it's that communication piece that is so essential doing the right thing. You know, our students are, are, when they're waiting to do their, their vigorous activity, they are wearing their masks, they're spread out. Um, and I think if, you know, as we look at going forward, we just have to make sure that we're doing the right thing so that we can keep participating in this type of activity. And uh, I assume that's the same with the academic uh, uh, extracurricular activities. Have you been able to continue most of them or a portion of them or just a, an overall view as to how that's working out? Because you have a number of clubs and, and just uh, right. official activities. How, how's that going now? So we had our big kickoff for clubs and academic um, activities last Friday, and we did that on Zoom. So the different club sponsors um, had a meeting and were able to share those Zoom links out. And we had more participation in those clubs and in those activities than what we normally would have if we are in person. And I'm, I'm not quite sure why, except that maybe, maybe students were just available to hop in. But a lot of our clubs showed, you know, 10 to 20 percent increase in participants. And so we're excited about that. Well, that may uh, be a, uh, I should have, uh, maybe an idea of what may happen in the future to some extent. But so you're maybe you're learning something through this, this force process you're you're under now. I've covered this school board for more than eight years now, and alternative education was something when I first started covering the board, as uh, a shared operation among a number of school districts uh, in the geographic area. Uh, Dr. Mike Beresford, uh, who is now the superintendent in Carmel, started the whole program of the uh, HSE Alternative School, which is called the Academy now. Um, this is just basically for students that are unable to function in, in a regular school setting. You were in charge of that, and I found this post you made online in June of 2018. It was right at the uh, graduation time for your Academy, and I want to read that quote and talk to you about it. Trauma, high levels of stress, transi- I'm going to say this right, transiency, medical conditions, and just overall life challenges have kept some students from being successful in a traditional school environment. The Hamilton Southeastern Fishers Academy was created to help students navigate roadblocks and help students succeed. With the help of a licensed social worker and skilled teachers, we use a team approach to wrap services around each individual student, and then we focus on achievement. I'll end the quote there. A lot of people ask me what an alternative school is or what the academy is about. I think you summed it up right there. Talk about your time there. So I love every bit of the academy. The first the first task I had in that role was trying to get people to see that alternative schools are not schools that have a big red arrow that says bad kids go here. It's not about bad kids. It's about 
students that have had some real challenges, some real struggles that get in the way of academics. And so I was able to work in alternative education um, in Laporte, which is where I'm from. And I did that for five years. And I was, I did a lot with a little. And we were able to really help help kids be successful. So when I had the opportunity to come here and start from scratch, and this district said, you know, we're going to help you do this the right way. So the first thing I did was um, find a social worker. And if if anyone in this district has had a chance to talk with Mrs. Mandy Scott, you will realize quickly that she is a, a true advocate for kids. And she partnering with her and being able to address the social emotional piece. And then you take that um, and you get those, those areas addressed and you partner with teachers that are really skilled at addressing learning deficits, achievement gaps. We had tremendous success. Our graduation rate was often in the 90%. Sometimes um, I think our last one was even 97% which is amazing for a traditional environment, let alone an alternative school. And it all comes back to literally looking at each individual student and their needs um, and matching their needs with, with almost like a prescription. You know, you're struggling with this situation, so we're going to address it in this way. Um, and I'm able to take a lot what I learned at the academy and bring that here to HSE High School HSE High School also has a tremendous amount of resources. We have, we have a whole lot more kids too, but we have a lot of teachers, a lot of staff who are truly devoted to helping students be successful. So I'm excited to take what I learned on, the, on that small area and, and spread it out here and, and be able to help more kids. Yes, I've uh, gotten to know the people at the Youth Assistance Program. Sometimes what you find are some of these students just have tremendous challenges that are of no fault of their own. It could be a family issue, parental issue. I mean, there there's so many outside forces that can impact a student. And giving that student a chance to succeed at a place like the academy, can't say enough uh, about that. So what, what you've accomplished there, you should be very proud of that. Thank you. Um, one challenge that all large suburban high schools are facing around the nation and this was before the pandemic, and has even come to fore even more recently, has been the increasing diversity amongst the student population. You know, I, I moved here in 1991. My wife and I first got married, and uh, HSC High School was a little country school. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, you know, there wasn't much diversity. It's just the nature of the, of, of the area. And uh, it's obviously nothing like that now. Um, was a much a different place now, and I think right now the diversity you see is a very good thing. I think my uh, my daughter's went to Fisher's High School, but it could have been either one. They they got a much richer education with a diverse student body and and, fa- and, and faculty and so on. So what I'd like you to do in general, just talk about the challenges and the advantages of having a more diverse student body. So the challenges of having a diverse student body is is to make sure that all students feel welcome and that they feel that sense of belonging. This is their school. Um, so what's really important is that we we make sure that they feel welcome here, that they have faculty and staff that um, represent similar backgrounds, so that they can see themselves um, in this in the people that work here. So we need to make sure that we're, we're 
keeping an open mind as we look at hiring, that we're hiring people from all different backgrounds, all different colors, all different um, ethnicities. It's also important that, that we, we acknowledge that they belong here, that we have those hard conversations. The advantage of having a school with diverse backgrounds is we have so much to learn from one another. It's such a rich culture when you walk down the hallway and you, you see people that look different than you. My favorite place at HSC High School is the flag hallway, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but we have a hallway that has, I don't know, over 50 flags, and it's, it represents the birthplace of some of our students. So when they walk down the hallway, and if you're from Brazil, you will see the Brazilian flag up there. And I think that's a huge message to say to that student, I'm welcome here. Look at that, there's my flag. And so I've seen a number of students respond to that hallway. And I just love to walk through there and try to pick out a different country each time because that represents a student that was here at HSE. And, I, and that, that means a lot. Many years ago, there was a, presentation made before the school board uh, of the diversity of the number of native languages that people have in our school system. It was amazing. It was way beyond anything I I ever imagined. You have an excellent equity and and, uh, diversity uh, uh, employee in Erica Buchanan Rivera. I've gotten to know her and and she does very important work throughout the uh, school system. But as a principal, you're really on the ground floor of these things. And what I have found, in, in, and I found this in, in education, but I've also found it in private sector. Uh, I've worked for the federal government for 28 years, broadcasting before that, and I, I've worked in, in, in uh, many different roles. And I often find situations where, for example, when you're dealing with, 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 with allegations of racism, Sometimes it's overs, and sometimes it's an idea of some, someone feels that they've been victimized by a racist comment or act, and the person on the other side had no idea that what they were doing was offending the other individual. So I, I, I say that as just a kind of a, a setup for this question. When you, and I'm sure as principal you have to deal with this, you have two parties who, who are at some odds and, and there's a racial issue involved, how, how do you get to the bottom of it? How do you talk to these individuals and try to solve the problem and try to understand where both people are coming from? You know, I think it's really important to, to have just a conversation and to make people feel safe in that conversation. If, if, if it's approached in a defensive way um, where, where people feel threatened, then they kind of retreat and it's just a battle and, and we're not going to get anywhere. So it's really important to have some safe spaces, to have those conversations, to have some trust, and to be able to just realize that we're just people. You know, we're coming at things from different sides, and let's have a conversation about where that comes from, and, and just to try to remove some of the, some of the, um, the tension of that, and just have an open and honest conversation. I know that that sometimes if I could just get two people to sit down and have a cup of coffee together, we can have a real conversation and move forward. But if you, if you come at it 
in, in front of other people where there's a lot of judgment and pressure and stress, then people just kind of retreat to their corners and you're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere. Move on to something else here because, um, HSE High School has experienced something in recent years that has not normally done in its history. Uh, Matt Kegley was a longtime uh, principal there. When he was promoted, Charlie Hoover was near retirement. I think he was there about a school year or so before he retired. Chad Kripe came in last year, and now he has gone on to a superintendent's job in northern Indiana after being here for one school year. So I guess there are many families either in HSE High School or with their uh, children uh, in the junior high system uh, ready to go to HSC, and they're asking this question uh, of you, are you in it for the long haul? <laughs> I, I have been asked that question a few times. My answer is simple. I love it here. Um, I, I had worked with the guidance uh, department and the administrative office in my role at the academy, and and I really enjoyed this staff, even in that limited exposure that I had. From the time that I was hired, I've been in this office, people have been popping in to say hello, but more importantly, teachers and staff have been popping in to say, how can I help you? And they have really been rallying, rallying not just around me, but around each other, and we're all in this together, and it's been a real team-type focus. And so I, I've really enjoyed the, the time that I've had here. Um, I, I am, I never really expected to, um, to be in the principal role, um, but I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm not someone who um, looks at this job as a stepping stone to the next job. I'm, I'm here, I'm going to show up for our teachers and our staff, but most importantly for our students and family as, as long as they'll have me. And since you are fairly new at this job, um, did you set any goals for yourself in this job? You know, because it's a, a time of pandemic, I, I think I had a different set of goals than I normally would have had had I walked into a new principal position. My, my first two goals were simple. I'm going to take care of kids and I'm going to take care of staff because everyone seems to have a, a high level of anxiety right now. We don't know what's coming next. So if we can calm those fears, then we can get back to the business of what we do, which is you know quality instruction, taking care of kids, making them feel welcome and comfortable. And so right now I'm trying to make sure that we provide as much information as we can to teachers so that they can do their jobs and provide as many tools as we can to students so that they can do their jobs. So there are plenty of principals all throughout Indiana and the country saying, my goal is to get through the day. <laughs> it's, just, it's how tough the job is right now. And I think lots of people in education are saying that. I've tried to ask the questions I can think of asking. Anything you would uh, like to add to this conversation uh, before we wrap it up? You know, I, I just want... I want our community to understand that, that we are committed to your students. That vision hasn't changed. We are, we are committed to quality instruction. We are committed to preparing your students for the next steps, however that looks. Um, our teachers are, are really focused on doing the best that they can for your kids. I'm committed to doing the best I can for the teachers and the staff, but most importantly for the students and their families. 
Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy day to uh, spend some time with me. I appreciate uh, that very much and certainly wish you well. Thank you, J.D. Ulmer. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Have a good day. Thank you, Larry.